So today's daf is daf Pei Zayin, page 87 in Meseches Yavamas. And we pick up from the Mishnah on the bottom of Pei Vav Amad Beis. We're going to go back to the Mishnah, which is six lines from the bottom of the Amud. Now we had a fascinating case of a woman who was married three times. And we're going to go, we're going to see, we're going to go both ways now in the Mishnah. All right? So here we go. Ba- Bas Yisrael. Shanisis Lakayim. Who married a Kayim. So you have a Yisraelis. Let's get going. You have a Yisraelis that married a Kayim. Teichel betruma. She can now eat Truma because she was married to a Kayim. Okay, now listen to this. Mace, if her husband who's a Kayim passes away, Villa Heimenu Ben. And she has a child from him. And now, Nisais the lady. Yes. So because her child is a Kohen, she could still eat Shuma. But now she goes ahead and she goes on to a second marriage and she marries a Levi. So she can no longer eat Shuma because she gave up that right by marrying a Levi. Tochal b'Meiser, she's allowed to eat Meiser now because Leviim eat Meiser. So she can eat Meiser. So you now have a woman who used to be married to a Kohen, now married to a Levi. She has a son who's a Kohen, but she's eating Meiser. Mace, if that Levi dies... And now she has another son. So she has a son who's a Kohen from the first husband. She now has a son who's a Levi from her second husband. She's allowed to continue eating Meiser because her last marriage was to a Levi. Okay. Now she gets married for a third time. She marries a regular Yid. Yeah. Like us, like me. Yeah. She marries a regular Yid. She can no longer eat Shruma. Or Meiser, because she doesn't, the, the marriage of, to the Kayan doesn't carry on, and the marriage of the Levi doesn't carry on now that she's married to the Yisrael. Mace, let's say the Yisrael dies, listen to this, and now she has a kid from the Yisrael too. So she has three sons from three marriages. One of her sons is a Kayan, one's a Levi, one's a Yisrael. Incredible. Yeah? They take care of every Monday morning Kriya Satayr. Yeah? Okay. So what do you do? Okay, she can still not eat truma or miser. We might think, now listen, now that she's no longer married to the Israel, so maybe she should be able to go back to some sort of ability because of her children. No, no. Now this is interesting because it seems it's only because she has a son from the Israel that she's not allowed to go back. If she, it seems to imply if she wouldn't have had a son from the third marriage then in some way, shape, or form, she would be able to go back to the miser of the Levi. Okay, that is the first half of the mission. No, no. Okay, now here we go. Mace bin Yisrael, her third son, Nebuch, dies. So she no longer has a son. So she could go back retroactively and now eat Meiser. Because the son of the Yisrael who was standing in her way of eating Meiser from her second marriage is no longer there. So she can go back to eating Meiser. If let's say her son from the Levi dies, so now she goes, she only has her one son left, who's a Kohen. So now she could go back to eating the Truma. If her son from the Kohen dies, so now Nebuch, she has no children left. She's not allowed to eat Truma or Miser either. 
Okay? So, because again, when you're in order for the wife of a Kohen to be allowed to continue eating Truma, it's all, after the marriage is only if she has a son. If the son's not there, now the son dies. So retroactively, it's ruining that ability. Hence, she's not allowed. Okay. Top of today's daf now, as we continue on in the mission. Says the, says the mission. Bas kohen shenisseis the Yisrael. If you have the daughter of a Kohen who first marries Yisrael. Remember the last case, who did she marry first? A Kohen. And then a Levi, then Yisrael. Now we're going to work the opposite way. What happens if she's a Koheness married to a regular Yisrael? She's not allowed to eat Shum anymore. Because she's married to a regular Yisrael. Just because you were your father's a Kohen doesn't mean you could, you could keep eating Shum. Okay. Now, Mace, if her husband who's Yisrael dies, and she has a son who's a Yisrael. Also, she can't go back. She has a child who's a regular Yid. She can't go back to eating Shum. This child's standing in her way, so to speak. Nisais the Levi. Let's say she now, this Kohenes, marries a Levi. Taichal be Miser. She's allowed to start eating Miser. Nisais the Kayin. If she then marries a Kayin, Taichal be Truma. She can now marry, she, she can now eat Truma the same way she did when she was born, right? Remember, she's a Kohenes, now married to a Kohen. Okay. Mais, Velohi Menuben. Let's say the Kayin dies. But she has a kid from the Kayim. She could continue eating Shuma. Now this is interesting. Is she continuing to eat Shuma because of her original ability? Or because she was now married to a Kohen? You understand? She had an original ability of Kohen. She comes from a family. But then because of her other kids, she had to stop. Until she married the Kohen. Then she had a kid from the Kohen. She was allowed to. You hit his, this is the Chab. This is incredible. Um, the Kayan dies, but she has a son. She's Lady Chuma. Okay, that's what we just said. Mace, if the son from the Kohen dies, Mace bin Nam she's not allowed to eat Chuma anymore because she's no longer married to the Kohen and she doesn't have a son of a Kohen, which seems to imply that when she was allowed to, to eat the Chuma, it wasn't because of she of her being a Kohenness originally. It was because of the marriage to the Kohen and the child from the Kohen, because once that's gone, she's back to not being allowed to eat Shuma. Mace benami Levi, if her son from the Levi dies, she can't eat Maiser either. If her son from the Yisrael dies, now she doesn't have a kid from anybody. So what are you left with? A Kohenes with no husbands and no children. You know what she's allowed to do now? Eat Shuma. Because she's a regular Kayhenes with no impediments as far as Truma is concerned. She can now eat Truma. And it is about such a case that the Pasuk says, She goes back to the house of her, her father's house of her youth, which means she's allowed to eat again from the bread of her father. Okay. That is the Mishnah. Fascinating, fascinating Mishnah. Okay? We understand the logic. We get how this works logically. Okay? Unless there's any specific questions. But I, I want to throw something in here that's going to... That today's daf is ultimately going to come around to a fascinating conversation which has to do with the Yavama. Which has to do with the Yavama. Okay? Over here, well, does it have any connection to Yibam yet? No. So, 
in what in what in what shape or form is this going to impact the laws of Yibum? So let's start thinking for a minute. You ready? Listen closely. Reuven is married to Leah. They have a child. Is Leah a Yavama to Shimon? Is there Yibum? No. Because there's a child. So what does Leah do? She's a widowed wife. You know what she does? You know what she's going to do? She'll go marry whoever she wants. No problem. No problem. So she goes and marries Chaim Yankel. She marries Chaim Yankel. Seder. Two years after marrying Chaim Yankel, guess what happens? Leah's son dies. From her first husband. Now, you ready for this? If the death of a child, according to our Mishnah, puts you back in your original state, does that mean that she was originally a Yavama to Shimon because Reuven has no children now? And now her relationship to Chaim Yankul is a transgression. And if she had any children with him, those kids are Babzerim. You understand? This is wild. This is wild. Huh? Because according to our Mishnah, we're going to get the Gemara is going to bring us around. But I just I want to preface how this how this concept according to the concept of our Mishnah that the death of a child puts a woman back in her original status. So if you ever have a widow with a child, she can never remarry. Because what happens if that kid dies? What if her kids all die in a car accident? She's back to being a, her, her original husband's a childless guy. And now she's, she has to go back to his brother. <laughs> you don't like it. <laughs> Dave, what do you say? Um, I, I had a previous question. The con is when, when everybody's died out and she goes back to her father, she can eat truma. Does she have to go back literally to his home or is she automatically uh, his daughter? Again? Oh, very good. Great, great question. Great question. So she's automatically considered his household. She's considered his household again. Great question. Okay. Yeah. Okay. She. Let's go ahead. Yeah. What? Yeah. She married with a child. Yeah. 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 And if that child dies, does that make her a retroactive Yavama? Why not? Why not? Her her previous husband is childless. The child dies, and she's to do Why? Her 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 husband is now considered childless. All right, we'll get here. We'll get here. This is the can of worms. This is the can of worms we're going to open. We'll we'll, we'll discuss it more when we get there in the Gemara. I just want to get our minds thinking. Okay, Seder. You got it? Let's go, let's go, let's get to the Gemara. Okay. Says the Gemara. We said if her son from the Levi dies, this is in the original case. If you have a Yisrael, right, that married a Kayin and then a Levi, then a Yisrael, if her son from the Levi dies, she can go back to eating Shruma from her first husband. Says the Gemara, which means, which means she can go back to eating the Shruma because of her child. Menalan. Where, what's the source that if a woman has a child from a Kohen and now her son 
and therefore the sons of Kohen, that allows her to continue eating Shuma. Amar Avami, Amar Rav, Bas Ubas, the daughter of a Kohen, uh, that's all you needed to say, a Kohenes, but it says Ubas and a Kohenes. See, the extra vav over here is teaching us that she also has the right to now eat Shuma. Says the Gemara Keman, who's that holding like? Rabbi Akiva, the Darshi Vave. If you're going to say from one letter of a vav, um, we're making this drasha. That is actually the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says, whenever you find a vav, it's there to darshan. Okay, and therefore the drasha is that a woman's truma eating ability is dependent on her son. Says the Gemara, it's not necessarily only Rabbi Akiva. You can even say it's the opinion of the Rabban who don't darshan a vav. Kula ubas krayusir, you can say the entire word of ubas is extra, and hence that itself, the whole word without the vav, the word bas itself would be a source to tell me that a woman who has a son who's a Kohen could go back to eating truma. Okay, very good. So now we know the source, that if you have a child from a Kohen, a Yisraelis has a child from a Kohen, she could go back to eating truma, either from Ubas or the word, the whole word of Ubas. Okay. Turn around on the rabbis, they're on social week. Everybody dies. She go, the Kohenes goes back to her father's house. You should know. She goes back to her ability to eat truma, but she cannot eat from the priestly gifts of the karbonos, which is the chaz of the breast and the thigh, which is called kudshim. She could go back to eating truma. She cannot go back to eating kudshim. She does not regain that right. Amar of Chista, Amar of Barshila, why? Micra, where do you see a pasuk teaching me she goes back for truma, but not for the priestly foods? He says the Gemara. He betruma sakadoshim leisaychel. She, the daughter of a kohen, is not allowed to eat from the truma of kachim, which means bamura mina kachim leisaychel. That which was separated from kachim, meaning the parts of the animal of the sacrifice that she's not allowed to eat, but anything that's holy and not separated from a sacrifice, i.e., for example, truma that she is allowed to eat. Rav Nachman Amar Rav Nachman Amar Rabba Baravua. Rav Nachman says the name Rabba Baravua. Milachem v'loy kolachem prat lechaz of a shayk. She's not allowed to eat from the bread, but not all the bread. Now, bread over here is referring to food in general. She's not allowed to eat everything. There are certain parts you're not allowed to eat. So what's it coming to exclude? Lechaz of a shayk. She's not allowed to eat the, the, the thigh and the breast of the karbonis. Master Rabbi Racham, Rabbi Racham asked a challenging question. Emer prat lafaras adarim. How do you know that she doesn't go back to her father's house? Because we're excluding something, and, and you know what we're going to go. You know what we're coming to exclude something that was kachim and now separated from it, the breast and the thigh of a carbon. He says, "How do you know that's what she can't do? Maybe it's referring to something else." And you know what that is? Hafaras nadar. What does that mean? Hafaras nadar. So let's discuss outside. Okay, there's a whole tractate nadar. What's the halacha of another? So, a father is allowed to nullify his minor daughters. Uh, vows. He has the right to nullify it. If he hears his daughter made a vow, he can go ahead and say, out the window, Dunskis. Okay? Now, if that daughter, who's a katana, or a nara, gets married, gets married, so the husband takes over that right to nullify. If the husband dies... Does she go back? Does the father now regain the right of Afaras Nadarim? Says Rami Barchama, maybe no. When the Pusik says she doesn't completely go back to her father's house, maybe it means that the father can't, can't nullify her vows. Maybe she could eat from the breast and the thigh. And what's she excluded from? The vows. Amarav, Rav says no. 
Kvar Pascha, Tana Debe Rabbi Shmuel. We already learned in the Yeshiva of Rabbi Shmuel. The Tana Debe Rabbi Shmuel. We learned the Yeshiva Rabbi Shmuel. The Neder Almano Grusha Yakum Allah. The 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 Neder the vow of a widow or a divorcee is Yakum Allah. It's on her. It's on her. Okay, which means once a woman is married uh, uh, fully, she was in a state of nesuin, and then she gets divorced. So her father can't touch it. Her husband can't touch it. Okay, if there was erusin, they could. If there was heiress, then they could. If a woman's in the first step of marriage, then, you know, who has the right? The father or the husband. So they both have a, have a quasi-relationship. But be it as it may, it's, it's on my time What is it teaching me? Once she had Nesuin, once she was fully married, and then that marriage ends, both her father and her husband cannot touch her vows. Ella, rather, you know what the Pasuk is coming to teach me. What happens if the father handed over um, the daughter, which the, if you have a minor daughter, you have the rights to her, right? What if the father handed over the daughter to a shliach of the husband? What's a messenger of the husband? See, here's what happens. There's a father trying to marry off his daughter. He hears that Yankel is a real swell guy. See, he says, Yankel, he's a swell guy, he's a good guy. See, he says, Yankel, I want you to marry my daughter. Yankel says, listen, I'd love to marry your daughter. I think it's a wonderful shidduch. The problem is, the problem is that I'm away on business for the next couple months. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'll appoint a shliach, a messenger of mine, to put a ring on your daughter's finger on my behalf. A messenger of a person is like themselves. The messenger is going to say to your daughter, behold, you are now married to Yankel with this ring, and it's valid. That's not how it works. You could, you could get married with a, with a messenger, okay? Because you know, as, because of Zachin. It's a positive thing, hopefully. So if the father gave over the daughter to messengers of the husband, or they both made messengers, and then... On the way, she was already widowed or divorced. What does that mean? There was an acquisition, but she never had a chance to move in with him. By the time, uh, by the, the, you know, his, I'm away on business. Well, he, he died in a, in a shipwreck. So his agent, he never even saw her. His agent married them, but there was no Nisuan. So, what Pasuk refers to such a case? Do we say that she's called her father's house? Or is it saying that she's now lost from her husband's house because that acquisition was broken? Rather, the Pasuk of a widow and a divorcee is letting us know. Once there was one moment where she left the father's rishos, the father's domain, he completely lost his rights to nullify her vow. Hence, we already know that the father lost his rights. And since we knew it from elsewhere, it must be that the word mi lechem is coming to exclude chazav Because again, let's get, let's get our heads around this. What was the whole reason why we brought on the, the halach of Nadar? We said, how do you know it's coming to exclude a widow from going back and eating the chaz of a shaykh and her father? Maybe it means the father just doesn't have rights to nullify her vows. The Gemara says, I already know he doesn't have rights to nullify her vows. That we learned out from the other Pasuk, Beseder. The Pasuk already told us, you know, based off of uh, the story of the, the, the widow and the divorcee, since I already know it, 
I have my word milachem, and she, we talk, I have a strong source again. Even though she can go back to eating shuma, she cannot go back to eating the chaz of Okay. Rav Safra Amar. Rav Safra says, milachem she can eat from the food of her father, lechem v'loy baser, the food, but not the meat. Okay. Now, guess what food is? Shuma could be anything. The chaz of the parts of the animal are only meat. She says that's why the Torah specifically used the word lechem to refer to food. You might as well just say food. Why would you say lechem? Because you never call meat lechem. So that's another place we could bring a proof that a, a widow or divorcee kayhenes, when she goes back to her father's house, cannot eat chaz of The papa on her papa says, mi lechem avia taicha lechem hakonui avia bread that is acquired to her father, Prado Chaz this is incredible. You hear this? When a Kayan gets the breast and the thigh of a carbon chevra, listen closely, this is a halaga. This, this is so holy. When the Kayan eats the breast and the thigh, is it his? No. It's HaKadosh Baruch Hu inviting the Kohen to eat at his table. Shruma belongs to the Kohen. But the Gifts of the sacrifice in the Beis Hamikdash, the Kohen is allowed to eat it, but it belongs to Shulchan Gavaya. It belongs to God. God says, "I'm letting you eat it. It's mine. It's mine. I'm inviting you to my Shabbos table. I'm inviting you to my dinner table, but it's not yours. Since it's not her father's, she can't eat it. She can only eat something that is owned by the father. Okay." Now this, if you, want to take it, if you want to take it deep, I think it's a beautiful concept in life. It's a beautiful, you know, the, the, there are things where the more we're willing to remove ourselves from it, remove our ownership, remove our bias from it, the, the greater the ability to sanctify it. It now fully belongs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And this is mamish this week's Parsha. Mamish this week's Parsha, Bamidbar. Right? How do you be successful in Tyra? Like a desert, the Bali Moser say. What's a desert? It's hefker. It's ownerless. How do we get into a relation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? How are we acquired by HaKadosh Baruch Hu? When we allow ourselves to be ownerless, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu could acquire us. If we keep holding on to ourselves, so then you can't take something away from somebody they're not willing to give up. So, Kaviyacho, so to speak. Of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu owns everything. But Kaviyacho, so to speak. If you want to be Matzliach in Torah, if you want a real, a real marriage, a real relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with Parshas Bamidbar and Shavuot, so what do you do? You remove yourself from it. You say, this is not me, this is the Rabbi Nishleil. The moment we say we remove ourselves, we make ourselves ownerless, Hashem can now acquire us, and now we're invited wherever HaKadosh Baruch Hu is. Okay? The Rava Omar, and Rava says, the, wa- the, the waving of the breast and the thigh, you eat you and your sons, and your daughters who are with you, meaning they're allowed to eat it, as long as they've always been with you. The moment they leave, they're no longer allowed to um, eat from the Chaz of Okay, so now we, what the Gemara just did is bring further proof that a woman who leaves the father's house is, even though she can go back to Truma, if she doesn't have children, she can still not eat the chaz v'shek. Okay. Amr Abad Barav, Abad Barav says, Tana, we learned in a b'risa, Kishi chazeres the b'shavia. When the kaihenes goes back to her father's house, chazeres l'chuma v'ne chazeres the chaz v'shek, she's letting chuma, she can't eat from the chaz v'shek. B'shvil b'na, 
Chayzeres af v'chazav v'shayk. However, however, um, if you have a, Yisra, a Yisraelis that married a Kohen and she has a son who's a Kayin, okay, so she can even eat from the Chazav V'shayk. She can eat from the Chazav V'shayk. Also, Rav Mordechai, Rav Mordechai went, a little bit of a story, Amr Lishmaitse Kameh the Ravashi, and he told over in front of Ravashi, he said over this halacha, Amar, <clears throat> and he said, he stated, Mehecha ka misrabia. Where did we, where were we merabba this? What does the word rabba mean? What is riboy? Riboy means to expand. Where did we get this expansion, right? As we say all the time. That's why a rebbe is called a rebbe. That's why a rav is called a rav. What's the root of the word rav and rebbe? It's from the word rov. Rov is an expansion. When you're the, the obliga- you have an obligation to expand yourself and to expand what you've learned to other people. That's the root of the word. So where did we get this riboy? Where did we get this expansion to, uh, to teach us that even if you're a Yisraelis, but you have a son who's a Kohen, you could eat from the Chaz of Okay? Where do you get this from? So he says, Mi ubas, from the word ubas. But why in the world would a Yisraelis, who's the mother of a Kohen, be able to eat the Chaz more than a Kohenis? Because keep in mind, that's what's happening right now. According to, according to the way we've been understanding, listen to the following case. You have a daughter of a Kohen, marries a Yisrael, her husband dies, no children. She goes back. She can eat Shuma, she cannot eat the Chaz Vashayk. Even though she was born in Kahanas, she cannot eat the Chaz Vashayk. But if you have a girl who's born a Yisraelis, and she has a child, marries a Kohen, she has a child who's a Kohen, and then her husband dies. You're going to tell me she can even eat the Chaz Vashayk? She's a Yisraelis with a son who's a Kohen. Why are you allowing all this? Says the Gemara, You want to know why? Says in the Torah. Good answer. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> the best answer you could give. Because by Gehenis, the Torah excludes her from the ability of the Chaz Doesn't make a difference whether it makes sense to you. Why? Because the Torah excludes a Kohenis. It says so in the Torah. That's the answer. Doesn't even make sense other than that's the Halach. Period. End of that Gemara. We're now up to the two dots. Yeah. Two dots. Here we go. We are now six lines into the wide lines towards the bottom of Pezayin Amadalaf. Here we go. Bas the Kayhenes, the daughter of a Kayin, who marries a Yisrael. Ton Rabbanah, the rabbis learned, and that's why they're rabbis. Bishavu Beisavia, she goes back to her father's home. What does that mean? Prat Shemeres Yavim is coming to exclude a Shemeres Yavim. Because, ready? If you have a Kohenes who was married to a, to a man and he dies childless, can she go back to her father's home? This goes back to David's point. Does she need to go back to her father's home or does it just, what, what does it mean? She, she's separated now from her marriage and she's back in her original state. Okay? So if she's a Yavama, it's not called going back to your father's home because you still have to wait for the husband's brothers. Kinu Reha, as in her youth, Pratlum Uberis, coming to exclude a pregnant woman. Vahalaidinu says, but what about it? Why don't we make a Kavachaymer? Just like in a place where the terror does not make a child from her first husband the same as a child from her second husband, the Pajim and Ayibum, as far as pottering her up, exempting her from Yibum. 
Also, Uber Kiyalud, we still make a, uh, an Uber similar to a child who's born, meaning if the first husband had a child, is this woman a Yavama? No. Let's say the first, let's say she's pregnant from the first husband. She still waits. She still waits because we have to know if the child's going to be viable. So we make it the same. You know, she can't do Yibum and she's also not free. You know what I mean? She's that. We, we equate the halach of a fetus and a child. A place where we make the child of the first one like the like the of the second one. Shouldn't we make an uber like a yalud? If we're going to say it by the lenient part, say it by the strict part. So the Gemara says, No, it's, a, it's not a good Because what gain do you have for the Torah? And, or we could say, Why did the Torah make it? That a uber, that a fetus, is the same as a child that's born, that there's no yibum. Shaharei also mesim kechayim. Because we're going to make mesim, ch- children that passed away, the same as chayim, the same as living children. Okay, this, we're about to get into this, com- this uh, conversation about the Shemeris Yavam and whether she goes back retroactively to her status. But still, but we're going to make an over like a child as far as Shuma concerns. So I will upslug the Kavachimer. It comes along the Pasuk and says, just like she was when she was a child, which is coming to exclude a Meuberis. Let's explain for a moment what's happening over there, over here, and extrapolate a fascinating idea. First of all, the expression that we had, which was, you know, she wants to go back to her father's house and she doesn't want to. That, that expression just is, is a fascinating thing. Because here you have a woman, she's a kahanas. Let's think in our own lives. Let's make this concept personal, okay? She's a kahanas. She marries one guy, dies. Marries another guy, dies. Marries another... You know what I mean? Even if it was one, but now the case of the mission, two, three. Nothing's going right. You know what she wants to do? She wants to push reset. Why can't we just reset? How many times do we want to do that in our lives? Right? Just push the reset button. It never happened. Never happened. Right? She wants to go back to her father's house. Lemaisa, she's not fully reset. You might be able to go back to Truma. You could fix up part of this. But to go back to Chaz of that far back, you, can't, you can never really go back on an, a reality that happened in our life. Now, you can make it something productive. Right? You can make it something productive. Klaisa went through Mitzrayim. In hindsight, it was a wonderful thing for us as a people. We wouldn't be the people we are without Mitzrayim. Imagine if Klaisa didn't go through Mitzrayim, we wouldn't have the, the uh, um, strength. We wouldn't have the endurance. Sometimes you need to go through things in life, even though you want to pretend like it never happened. Right? Sometimes it, it could be used for good. But that's one thing that's, that's, one thing that's happening here. Secondly, more specifically within our Gemara, you have a case where you have a Kohanas who married a Yisrael 
she had a child, because she had a child, even though her husband died, she can no longer eat truma, right? Because her son's a Yisrael. So she can't go back to her father's house. However, once this son dies, not only did she lose her husband who's a Yisrael, she lost her child who's a Yisrael. She can now go back to eating truma, even though she's not going back to the Chaz of Hashem. Okay. Very good. Says the Gemara, it's coming out that we have two psukim letting us know that she can go back to eating shuma. Okay, Hennes, without children, could go back to eating shuma. One is Kinureha, going back to her younger years. And also, Vizera ain't love. She doesn't have children, she can go back. We have two psukim, the Gemara wants to know why. Why? Because Rahman of Zara in love, would have only written Vizera in love. She doesn't have any children. Um, that's when she's allowed to go back to her father's house. If that would be the only Limud, we'll say like this. Listen, when she left her father's house, how many people left? One. She's by her shluf. She's all by herself. Okay? And now she's going back to her father's house with a guest. She got a kid. Okay. So maybe that's why you can't go back. Because you left the one, you can't come back with two. But I would say, let's say she's pregnant. Let's say she's pregnant. When she left, how many bodies left? One. And she's also coming back with one body. Now let me tell you something. If you're going to make this statement, you must hold, this Gemara must hold, a fetus is part of a mother's body. It's not an existence of itself. Otherwise, it's two. Okay? I'll say, let her go back to eating truma. She left her one body, let her go back with one body. Therefore, tricha. Therefore, it has to say, yeah? that even being pregnant, which is different than she was when she was younger, also does not allow her to eat truma. Because Rachmanim Ubaris, if they would have only written that a pregnant woman cannot go back to eating truma, I'll say, Demeikara Gufa, originally her body, top of Amud Beis, Sharika was empty, Bahashta Gufa Malya, and now her tummy's full. Aval Zera Einla, but when she has no choice, Demeikara Gufa, Sharika, Bahashta Gufa, Sharika, Imalai, I would say not. Satricha, I need it as well. Incredible. Right? In other words, like this. Do you view it that one person left so only one person can come back? Or do we say no? She was not pregnant when she left and she's not pregnant when she comes back. She has the same body. So let her come back. Let her eat the truma. I, there's a kid. So what? Look at her body. She looks exactly the same. Yeah? So therefore, Tzricha, the Torah... Uh, the Torah has to bring us the other per, the, the other Pusik as well. I just want to share, this is a little tangential, but a, a, a beautiful idea over here. That's what we're leaving off right now. I just want to share a, a beautiful idea. You know, at the, 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 this last svara, this last logic that we're saying now is, you know, I would say that if she already had a child, maybe she could go back because her body's empty. Her body's empty. My sister... I have a sister in Eretz Yisrael, her name is Rachel Friedman. 
my brother-in-law has a yeshiva in Beitar. His name's Rabbi Yaakov Friedman. So I have a sister. They live in Beitar. She, sh- she shared with me a beautiful idea. At the Pesach Seder, we say, who is one? Hashem. Two? Luchos. Special for Kal Yisrael. Three? Avos. The four? Imahis. No, come on. We all know this Seder. Five? Chumashim. Six? Shnaisen. Seven? Days of the week. Shabbos. We get that. Special. Eight? Brismila. Nine? Pregnancy. Ten? What is pregnancy doing here? What does that do with Klai Yisrael? If you're not Jewish, you're pregnant for 12 months? Right? Everything, who knows one, I know one. And we go through everything that's special about Klai Yisrael. What's what's number nine? Pregnancy. What? What What does that do do being in? Yehivikasha. She said a beautiful zah. I forget who she, was, who she was quoting. A beautiful idea. She said that if you're not a Yid, the entire purpose of pregnancy is to have a child. But by Yidin we know that as soon as a woman becomes pregnant, there's a child inside of you learning Tyra, the mother becomes an Aaron Kaidish. And even if, chas v'sholem, there's a miscarriage, and even if, God forbid, there's a stillborn, we as Yidin know, the pregnancy itself is an accomplishment. There was holiness that was brought into the world. Just, and that's unique to Klai Yisrael. That's something that's special to Klai Yisrael. It's not, we, we don't look at the product. We looked at what existed. And this connects so, so beautifully with our Gemara. Our Gemara says, listen, Originally, your body is empty. No, no, no. The public says, it doesn't matter for she. You're coming back a different person. She was pregnant before. She's not pregnant now. She's a different person. You're not allowed to go back to eating shuma. A different person. Yeah? She's, before she wasn't pregnant. Now she's pregnant. You can't say she's coming back in the same place. You can't, you, you can't call it the same place. She's now a walking, talking Aaron Kaitish. She's holding a safe attire. You can't say that. All right, here we go. Vaitar and Gemara. Two dots. Simon Amarlein Nase Venase Bemisa Nase Valay Nase Bavlad Yubum Uchuma Yibum Uchuma Simon. Okay, these are all a, a Simon. These are all going to be topics of conversation until we finish off our Perek the Ezra Sashem. All right, let's get going. Says the Gemara. Amrei Rav Yudah Mide Mide Eskarta Rav Yudah from the city of Eskarta said to Rav Valay Nase Mesim Kechayim Lein Yibum Megavachaymer Do not make Children who passed away. The same as children who are alive. As far as Yibam is concerned, we're not going to get, we're now, Rabbi Yale, we're now getting back into the conversation of if a woman had a child and that child dies, does she go back to the state of Yibam? And that's going to be too crazy for us to fathom. So here we go. Just like a Torah made the, the, the child from her first husband, the same as a child from her seven, second husband, to say she cannot go back to eating Shuma. It still did not make children who passed away the same as living children. Then we'll say by the Machmir one, when we were strict, and we said we're, we're not going to make the child of the first husband like the child from the second husband, the Paitram and Ayibam, 
to pater her from Yibam, how much more so we should not make Mesim the same as Chaim, living children. Incredible. Mamish, mamish, incredible. Yiddis. Really? Really, says the Gemara. Listen closely. If a woman has a child and her husband dies and she marries Chaim Yankel and then her child dies, she should go back to Yibum. She should have a pre-existing Yibum obligation. And she has to end her marriage with her second husband. According to the Kavachimer, the Gemara, the Gemara, which may, right? If, you're, if every place that she goes to in our Mishnah is dependent on your living child, and you're making a living child like a dead child, so as soon as that child's not here, so now she should go back to being a Yavama because her original husband has no offspring. To which the Gemara answers incredibly, Kavachimer here, Kavachimer there. The ways of the Torah are pleasant. And therefore, your Kavachimer is wrong. Because if your Kavachimer would be right, if the Kavachimer would be right, no widow would ever be able to remarry if her husband had a brother. Any husband who passes away, even with children, who has a brother, his wife will never be able to remarry. Because we're going to say, oh, what if those kids ever die? And nobody in their right mind would ever want to marry a widow with children. Because what if those child children die one day? I'm going to lose my wife. She's going to have to go <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and have Yibum with the brother. Says the Gemara, because the Rachel it's not possible the Torah would have obligated that. I don't care what your logic is. Incredible. Forget the logic where it's not happening. Okay. Says the Gemara, why don't we make children who passed away the same as living children? Not allow the mother to eat Shuma from a Kavachimer. If the Torah did not make the child of the second uh, of. Um, of her first husband. Like the child of her second husband, the Pajman, Ayibum, the Pater up from Yibum. Also, Mason, we Chayim, is still going to say Mason are like Chayim, Makam Joseph Lab, and Arisha Gavlam, and Ashani. So, in a place where the Torah does make the child from the first husband the same as the child from the second husband, which means the Pajman at Truma, to not let her go back to her father's house to eat Truma, Aina Din Shinasa Mason, Chayim, how much more so should we say that we should make uh, children who passed away have the same halacha as children who are here, and it should disqualify her. Talmud Leimar, Vizera ain't law. Therefore, the Torah says, Vizera ain't law. Only if she doesn't have children is she allowed to go back. Vaha ain't law. And bottom line is, if the children that she had passed away, she doesn't have children, and therefore, if she's a kahenas, even if she had children who passed away, she may go back to eating truma in her father's house. Says the Gemara. So, knows. Just keep in mind right here. Keep in mind right here. The challenge that we mentioned after we read the Mishnah of, listen, if you're going to tell me if she has children standing in her way of going back to eating Shuma, and those children were to die, she can go back and eat Shuma, why is that any different by Yibam? Why by Yibam do we say that, oh, if those children die, she doesn't go back to her Yibam? Why not? The logic should apply consistent. And the Gemara is really answering each one has its own parameters of halacha. The yibum is going to be drachel drachinayan, and 
the um, and the halacha by going back to eat truma is because completely dependent on the pasuk of Ezra Einla. And as long as there's no offspring here alive currently, she can go back to her original state. Okay, says the Gemara Vaiter. Let's make a kavachaymer. And make the children from her first husband the same as the children from the second husband as far as Yibam. With the third does not make the, the, the children who passed away the same as living. When it comes to Truma's concern, we separate them, right? If they're alive, she cannot go back to eating Truma. If her children passed away, she can go back to eating Truma. Still also, Vladimir Arishin, Vladimir Asheni. We make a child from her first husband the same as a child from her second husband. And therefore it says by Yibum, her first husband does not have a kid. And in this case, he does not have a child. And therefore, the wife is still going to be in the status of Yibum. Says Gemara, why don't we also not make the child from a first husband the same as the child from a second husband as far as eating Truma is concerned from a Kavachaymer? Now, what do you mean as far as eating Truma? As far as disqualifying her from going back to her father's house to eat Truma? And we'll say like this where the Torah makes children who passed away the same as children who are alive. Regarding Yibum, right? Meaning, does she go back to Yibam if her children pass away? No. She doesn't go back. Same. Doesn't matter if the children are alive from the first husband. Doesn't matter if the children are dead from the second husband. She does not go back to Yibam. Still, like us of Vladimir Arisha and Kavlamin Asheni, we still don't make a child from her first husband, the same as a child from her second husband. Makam Shalai, also Mason Kachayim, in a place where we don't make them equal, for example, Truma, the Indian Truma. If her children passed away, she could go back to eating Shuma. If her children are still alive from the Israel, she cannot go back to eating Shuma. How much more so? If she has no children, then she could go back and eat Shuma. But over here, she has children from her first husband, and that's why she's not allowed to go back to eating Shuma. Mazel Tov, everybody who finished the Heilige ninth parak of Meseches Yevamas. Okay, we would spend more time singing over here to make a seum, but we still have more ground to cover. Let's get going. All right, next parak. This parak is a brand new topic, but we've already familiarized ourselves with this topic in the beginning of our Mesechta. Now, this is going to have to do with a woman who remarries Alpi Halacha according to Halacha. But something went wrong afterwards. This actually seems to continue very much the last parak. Because in the last parak, you had a woman doing everything right. She married a Kayan, a lady, Israel, and then they die. Listen to what happens here. You ready for this? Says the Mishnah, new parak. You have a woman whose husband goes on a business trip overseas. He's gone. See ya. He's got to go make a living. He says, honey, I'll be back in a year. And they came and told her, your husband died. Now, the Gemara is going to tell us that this case has to be one witness. We'll see why. The Chachamim say you could rely on one witness to say a woman's husband died overseas. We don't want Agunas. We don't want a woman to be left in Aguna. Okay? So an aide comes and says to her, your husband passed away. Is she allowed to remarry now? Yep. She can remarry. The Chachamim say, you're allowed to remarry. Listen to what happens. says she remarries, her husband comes walking into the wedding. Hello, I'm home. 
They're up to dessert. Yeah, they're up to dessert. They already made the chuppah and everything. And all of a sudden, the husband comes in. He's in the mood for chocolate cake. He says, hi, I'm here. What happened? What do we do with her? What do you do? She divorces her husband. Okay, so says the Gemara like this. It's better than coming back the next morning. Okay, well, he really... He really <laughs> the truth is, Rabiel, he really came back the next morning. I was just making up a story. He really came back the next morning. All right? <laughs> Very good. So here we go. The halacha is, Teitze mize u mize. She's not allowed to be married to either one. Now, I want to give a heads up as to why. We're not going to be able to explain each part of the Mishnah. It's a loaded Mishnah, but I want to give a little bit of an inkling to get our minds thinking. She cannot stay married to the second husband for sure. Why? Because she's married to the first guy. Good. She cannot stay married to the first guy either. She just had to be with the second. But she was allowed. She was allowed to have relations with the second guy. Based on, based on the lack of information given to the Okay, very good. So the is going to tell us this is why it has to be that she married with one witness. Because here's the deal. If there were two witnesses, maybe she would be allowed to go back to her first husband. And the relations, the intercourse she had with the second, second husband is just going to be considered against her will. It was unknowing. She didn't know. And maybe she would be allowed to. But in our case... She remarried according to an Eid Echad. There was one witness. Now here's the deal. The rabbis allow a woman to remarry with one witness. But they were concerned. If you don't have two witnesses, your information is not as strong. So you know what they tell her? What they tell her is like this. If you remarry with one witness saying your husband's dead, you should know that if he ever comes back, you're going to be forbidden to your first husband and your second husband. Why are they doing this? Because they want to make sure that she does her own research as well. You shouldn't just rely on one witness. So this is kind of like a fine. This that we're going to say, you can't go back to your first husband either, is a little bit of a knas. It's a little bit of a claim against her by saying, we had to say you can't go back because you really should have been more careful. All right? We're going to get into this. The Gemara, but I just want to give a, share a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a, a little bit of a inkling as to what we're going to be dealing with. Okay. So she's got to leave this one and that one. Utricha, get mizel mizel. She's going to need a get from both of them. A get from this is interesting. A get from the first one. We understand she was married to him. Why do you need a get from the second husband? Okay. No. Why do you got it? Huh? Oh, no, no, no. She's going to get a get. However, this says the Mishnah. Okay, we're not going to answer it yet. We'll get in the Gemara. The Ain Luxuva. She doesn't have a Ksuva. Vale Paris, no Paris. Love is Venice. Vale Blois. Anything that goes along with the Ksuva, all the financial obligations, nothing. Lo Alzev, Lo Alzev. From either husband. She doesn't get financially compensated from either husband. The Nutla Mizeh, Umizeh, Taxir. And if she ever did, if she happened to have collected it, she still needs to give it back. It's not like you can't even initially collect it, even if she collected it. We're going to come mun her. We're going to come claim it back from her. And if she has children from either one, they're going to be mamzerim. Now, child from the second husband, we understand. Because she was a married woman, so she can't have relations with the second husband. The kid's going to be a mamzer. Why is she a mamzer 
Why would the kid be a manzer on the first husband? So there's a whole conversation here. The Mepharshim explain that perhaps we're dealing with a case where the first husband comes back and she had relations with him before getting a divorce from the second husband. And therefore the rabbis can ask that too. You might say, so what if she didn't get a get? She wasn't married to the second guy in the first place. Let her just go when her husband comes back that night. Let them get back together. Nothing ever happened. Why is the kid a mom? There's Rabban and Knasset. They say you have to wait till you get a get from the second one. This is a, a, a lot of rabbinic decrees over here to make sure that people aren't relying on the wrong things. If she dies, neither one is allowed to attend her funeral. And neither one is allowed to... Um, is allowed to have benefits of her lost of, of her objects that she finds or Maisiadel, her earnings, her, her income, Vilaya Faras de Darel, they also can't nullify her vows. If she was a Yisraelis, Nifslam and Kahuna, she's now puzzle to Kahuna. Okay, why? Because she's not considered a Zaina, and a Zaina is not allowed to marry a Kohen. If she was daughter of a lady, she's not allowed to eat maiser. She's forbidden to eat maiseration. Usually, the daughter of a lady is allowed to eat uh, is allowed to eat maiseration. But again, as we're going to see in the Gemara, we're penalizing her. We're saying if you're the daughter of a lady, and we're letting you know, if you go with the second husband based upon the witness, one witness, you have a lot at stake here. The purpose again. What's the purpose of all this? To make sure she does some serious research. That's the purpose. Okay. Neither one, uh, neither the, the inheritors of either husband inherit her, her ksuba. We're going to have to know what this means, right? Because uh, there is no ksuba. So we'll see in the Gemara as well. Um, and if these husbands die, the first husband or the second husband, both brothers of each one need to do chalitza and not yibum. Okay, this is fascinating. So we understand the, the brothers of the first husband, why they need to do yibum. What about the brothers of the second husband? We're going to say that they need to do chalitza the same way they're obligated to give her a get. And we're going to see later also, the logic is we don't, since people might not know the whole story, they might think there's a woman leaving a marriage without a get, without chalitza, and therefore they put it, the, the, the rabbis make a decree. Okay, Vaiter in the Mishnah, Rabbi Yaisi Aymer, Rabbi Yaisi says, that he, he, he argues, and he says that really she gets a ksuba from the first husband. Okay. She has to go ksuba from the first husband. In other words, we don't find her in this way. Fine. The first husband is allowed to get her findings and her earnings. The kids actually not going to be a This is just arguments on the Tanakama. Let's say she completely remarried um, without permission. Okay, now previously, the Chum gave her permission. And they said, listen, there's one witness, we're going to allow it, but we expect you to do your research. Okay? Now, let's say she marries this guy without any real Besden telling her that she can. Without any real Besden telling her that she can. Muteres lachserle. 
she's allowed to go back to her first husband. Okay. Now the Gemara is going to say we're dealing here with two witnesses. That's why you didn't even need a court. Two witnesses come to her and they say, we saw your husband die. And she remarries, she marries a second guy and then her husband comes back. There's no fine. There's no fine. It's just a sad story. Yeah, it's an unfortunate situation. But she can go back to her first husband. Okay. Nisei Salpi Bezdin. Let's say she remarries according to Bezdin, which means Eid Achar. Teitzei, she has to leave. Upturim in Akarban. She is not high of the Oraisa, a biblical transgression, or bring a carbon, like Nisis Alpi Bezdin. She didn't remarry according to Bezdin. Tetzay, the Chayavas Bekarbon. She goes out and she is obligated to bring a carbon, which we see, Yafa Kayach Bezdin, Shapaitra Min HaKarbon. The power of Bezdin is great because the potters are up from the obligation of a carbon. Hairua Bezdin Linase, if let's say Bezdin allows her Linase to remarry, the Holcha of Akilkala, and she went, and instead of remarrying, she, you know, she started uh, being very loose with her uh, immorality. Okay? Started being very loose in her immorality. Um, and then, no, she didn't marry a second guy. She went out, uh, you know, started making her rounds. And then her husband comes back. Chayavis Bekarban. She's obligated in a carbon. And Shalahi Tiray Elalinase. Because the Khamim only permitted her to remarry, they did not permit her to do these other things. Fine. Says the Gemara. I'm just gonna move uh, move along over here. I'm gonna apologize, but let's uh, let's finish off the daf. Says the Gemara. She remarries at the end. She's permitted to go back. This means that she that she didn't have she didn't go back because the Bezdin gave her permission. She remarried because there were two witnesses. Which means in the beginning of the mission we're dealing with one witness, and the Bezdin gave her permission. You see from here that one witness is reliable to allow a woman to marry a second husband. You can rely on one witness to say her first husband died. We learned in the mission similarly. That there's a chazaka, there became a decree. We allow a woman to get remarried, even if there's one witness. Even if a woman comes and says to a woman, your husband died. Even if it's a woman. We don't want an aguna. And therefore we say we're relying on the woman. Or a woman hears it from an Eved Ivri. Or a Shivcha Kananis. So you see from here that certainly a regular Eid Echad is going to be believed. We learned in the Mishnah similarly. If one witness says to a person, You ain't Chalev. What are you talking about? Putter. You're not obligated. The reason why you're not obligated is that I never ate the Chalev. But if you're quiet, Mehemon. Then we believe this one witness and we're going to say, Oh, the one who ate it is obligated in the Chattas. Again, you see, one witness is believed by Isur, by things that are prohibited. Says the Gemara, okay, how do you know this topic is all about one witness? Okay, what, what impact can one witness have? So, how do you see in the Torah that by, by Isurim, by a, something that is prohibited, you can rely on one person? Titania, we learned in the Brisa, if his Avera becomes known to him, means other people didn't let him know. I would say, even if he doesn't argue about it, he doesn't have to bring a carbon. Okay, so here we go. Bottom line. If one witness comes and says, you transgressed, and the person's silent, you're high. If you're not silent, 
you could push back on it. Says the Gemara, hey, Chidami, what's going on here? What's the case? If two witnesses come and they say, oh, you sinned, and he doesn't argue on them, crawl only. I don't need a pasuk. Two witnesses are always believed. And the law, right, the case must be, one witness came. And, and uh, from the fact that he doesn't argue on the one witness, we see we trust the one witness. You see from over here, then one witness is taka trusted. And how do you know that how do you know we're trusting the Eidachon? Maybe we're only trusting it because the guy's silent. And we know when you're silent, somebody claims something against you and you're silent, that seems like you admit it. In other words, you're obligated. How do you know you're obligated based upon the testimony? Maybe you're obligated for the fact that you didn't push back. That's what's obligating you. Says the no. Teda, the katani. I'm sorry, teda, and I'll show you how that works. The katani seifa. It says the end. Of the, it says the end. Amru shnayim achat achelav. Two minutes say you ate chelav. V'hu emer leichati. No, I didn't. Reb Meir mechayev. Amar Reb Meir kavachaymer. Reb Meir says you're obligated because of kavachaymer. Im eviu shnayim lidei misachamur of two people who testify could cause death. How much more so can they bring a person to carbon? Say no. What if you would have said I was amazing? Either way, they would have been believed. Okay, so they argue. Says the Gemara, Reisha, in the first case of our Mishnah, top of tomorrow's daf, my time of Why did Rabbanah say we listen to the single witness when he doesn't argue? If you're going to say because you believe a single witness, why do I need two witnesses? Let's say, if you have two witnesses, even if you were to argue, we would have believed them. Two witnesses come. They say, uh, they say, Say, you know, you transgressed. You say, no. <coughs> Who are you going to trust? The witnesses. Even if he argues with them, in Umehemni, they're believed. Yet the Rabban are still saying, are still saying, you see from here that really, what are you relying on? Not the one witness. To, to obligate him. Well, you know what you're relying on? The fact that he remained silent. So the Gemara is back to our question. The Gemara says, how do you know, that a single witness's testimony is listened to if the only time we find it's listened to is when you're quiet? When you push back, you're not. So we're still looking for a source. How do you know that Eid Echad is trusted? We will pick up from here tomorrow. Now, keep in mind, you know how practical this is? You know what practical this is? If you walk into somebody's house and they serve you dinner, you know what they're saying? They're testifying they gave you kosher. If I come home and my wife served me dinner, if Eid Echad would not be trusted by forbidden things, why I can't eat supper? Because I'm relying on her testimony that she's serving me kosher food. So by Isurim, by prohibited things, you know, we rely on, on, test, on uh, an individual's testimony all the time. Okay? Now, the question here, the Lamda Shashayla over here in the Gemara, is, is what's pushing the trustworthiness through? Is it the word of the Eid Echad or the fact that if we were to add, or, or the fact that when the Eid Echad testified something, the person didn't push back on it. That's what tells us that what the Yerachot is saying is true. And that's what we have to keep clarifying tomorrow. All right. Baruch Hashem. It's a longer show than usual, but we got through the daf. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening. A good night of Shabbos. Best tomorrow. We'll pick up at 12.15 p.m.